We invite you to turn your Bibles to Titus. So last month we, we took a break from our study in Titus to consider the five doctrines of grace, summarized tulip, through the book of Jude. And so now we return to Titus, and we were in Titus 2 last time we were in Titus, considering men in the church, and this morning we look at women in the church from verses 3 through 5, and then 11 through 15. Before we hear God's word read, let's go to him asking for his much-needed illumination. Our gracious God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, will enlighten our minds, that you would illumine our paths, that we might know you through your word more truly. Amen. Here now, Titus 2, 3 through 5, and 11 through 15. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave, us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. There is nothing worse for a husband than to have a contentious wife. Through the book of Proverbs, we see a man running away from this kind of woman. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. It is best to avoid that kind of woman altogether because she brings only strife and unrest. But there is nothing better for a husband than to have that rare jewel of the virtuous wife, that excellent woman. As he entrusts his heart to his excellent wife, he has no lack of gain, and she always does him good. She works hard for him, for their children, their whole house, working night and day. When she opens her mouth, wisdom pours out and kindness drips like honey. She is blessed, and so her husband and her children rightly call her blessed before everyone. She who fears the Lord is to be praised. Her beauty endures because she is adorned with the gospel. Christ has a word for the women in the church as he, through Paul, seeks greater church order. Women who have been changed by the appearance of Christ's grace avoid that quarrelsome wife because of the plague that she is on households everywhere. Instead, they adorn themselves with garlands of grace for the glory of Christ. This is why 
Jesus came. Christ appeared to redeem women from lawlessness and for purity. Look again with me at verse 3, just the first part of it. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Let us make it very clear in our minds that these calls for reverent behavior are not for wives alone or for women alone, but really for all of God's people. Yes, there are exhortations very specific to older women and younger women. And to avoid these exhortations is to flatten out and to so generalize Scripture as to say there are no real-life applications. But most of these descriptions that we've seen, that we just read, are very similar to what we have already seen in Paul's exhortations for older men and younger men, for the life of the church, for the good order of the church, for the health, the soundness of the church. Of course, applications differ. Illustrations differ. And callings differ as well. But all of us, as the bride of Christ, can take to heart these calls to godly order for reverential behavior. So Paul's word to the women here is that they be reverent in all their behavior. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. This word reverent means like a priest. It indicates one who is offering his whole life, her whole life, in service to the Lord. Paul points us to what Peter does elsewhere in 1 Peter 3 that or in, in uh, 1 Peter 1 and, and a couple other places in First and Second Peter, that we are all priests of God Most High. We're all servants worshiping God. We're all offering our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. So there isn't a, a special class called priestess that has certain privileges that other women don't have. But the emphasis here is on older women leading the younger women on the way to Jesus. And along that way, they are to say no to slander. In Paul's counsel for right living, he zeroes in on their mouths. First, he focuses on what comes out of their mouth, what goes out of their lips. The tongue is a dangerous tool if it is unleashed by an irreverent heart. And when older women are slanderous, really anyone for that matter, they join with Satan. To say yes to slander is then to say yes to Satan. It is to be in league with the devil. This word for slander is diabolos. You know the Spanish word diablo. You know the word diabolos is where we get the word devil from. Slanderer, adversary, accuser. Satan delights in slanderous behavior. It is what he does best. Or should we say it is what he does worse. He blasphemes the Son. He hates the Son. And he hates all those who are his. He revels in laying traps. What appear to be sweet morsels of information used to undermine the Son, to defile, if possible, the elect. During the end of John Calvin's life, he was still fighting resistance from the native Genevans. 
These people refused to follow Calvin and the other French pastors because Calvin and these pastors were not Genevans. They were French refugees. So what business do they have coming in here and teaching these Genevans? Women sometimes would be summoned to, to appear before the consistory. Think of a session, but a little bit larger. And many of these women would reject whatever admonition Calvin and these others gave them. One woman, knowing full well John Calvin's name, after hearing the admonition, says, I do not recognize that Frenchman. In other words, no, he's, he doesn't get to tell me what to do. He doesn't get to admonish me. Others believe that Calvin tried to set himself up as a Protestant pope. And this, this would not do, because in the 1530s, Geneva had renounced Roman Catholicism, said no more of that. Why then would we have this other pope, this Calvin, who thinks himself so highly? Of course, that's a misunderstanding of the man. Still, others fabricated love letters, allegedly from Calvin to other women, and conveniently put them on the seat on which Calvin sits. So one morning he comes in and sees these letters, and others see these letters, and what are these love letters from Calvin to other women and from women to Calvin? Ooh, scandalous behavior. Trying to defame the man, trying to defile his reputation by accusing him of adulterous behavior, even womanizing behavior. These are just some iterations of slander. Slander is everywhere these days. And it proceeds from the mouths of women and men. Paul, what Paul tells Titus here to impress upon the older women is a word, not just to women, but to all of us. We must all watch our mouths. We must all be the sentries to what leaves these mouth gates. Let us not use our mouths to slander one another under the pretense of prayer requests. Let us not let loose our tongues upon Christ's image bearers and give them a sound lashing. Let us not speak ill of the ministers and elders in this area who are devoted to the glory of God, even if you just happen to disagree with a couple things that they say. So what if they're all mill? Let's not hold that against them. Let us not speak of how miserably that young mother is failing to train her child. You could just help her instead. Let us always watch what we say to other people, what we say about other people, majoring on speech that edifies, that builds up, that encourages, that emboldens to loving service, that emphasizes the gospel of Christ, the grace that appears in the hearts and the grace that will appear at the glory of Christ's coming. After all, our Savior has delivered us from unholy speech, and we would then do well to imitate him with our tongues. So these older women are to say no to slander, but also no to slavery. Paul keeps his sights on the mouths of women. He is now focusing on what is coming in the mouths, whereas earlier he had spoken of what came out of the mouths. When Solomon 
contemplates his bride's beauty from toe to top. He says of her mouth, your mouth is like the best wine. Now, we don't have to like the taste of wine to know that he thinks this a very beautiful thing. This is a delight, such smoothness, such sweetness of the lips. But here, Paul knows the dangers of the mouth. He doesn't compare the mouths of aged women to aged wine, but cautions them from giving their mouths too much wine. An enslaved older woman is then toxic to the church, whatever she is enslaved to, whether it's wine or some other substance or other idol. The aged are to present their mouths as living sacrifices to their holy Lord, their Savior, and to give themselves over to wine, to any form of slavery, addiction, if you want to call it that, or idol, the more biblical term, to do this is to offer their mouths, their members, on the altar to their former master, Satan. Again, the devil wishes and works hard for our enslavement. It was to him that we were enslaved. You'll recall Jesus' words in John 8. Your will is to do the will of your father. Speaking of Satan. They were willing slaves. All of us, until Christ appears by grace into our hearts, by the power of the Spirit, all of us are enslaved to the prince of the air. And he knows that if we give in to earthly pleasures, even God's blessings like wine, if we give in to them in such a way that we esteem them too much, then we will neglect our God-given duties as new creatures who have been set free from sin's bondage. Just as slander is everywhere these days, so is slavery. And older women are to lead the way, for younger women, the way of self-control. Let us all then be careful how we spend our time, to what projects we pursue, to what people we spend our time with, and to how we use our God-given money, and other gifts. Let us not be enslaved then to Instagram, to the pressures from fellow Pinteresters, to endless posting or commenting or scrolling on Facebook. I'm not denouncing Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook, okay? But there is an excess. And some of us give in to that temptation just to scroll and ever scroll and to post and to ever post one of the reasons I gave up my social media, because I knew that too. Let us avoid the allures of excessive girls' night outs to the neglect of our duties. Nothing wrong with having a girls' night out. Hear me on that. It is to be encouraged. And sometimes husbands, fathers can just man up and watch the kids while the wife goes out and has a good time with the girls. But sometimes we prioritize ladies' time and we neglect our duties. Let us be careful to manage the hours of shopping lest we be carried away. Again, nothing is wrong in itself with shopping. If you read the Proverbs 31, you know that woman shops well. Sometimes we might be carried away with what we purchase and how long it takes us to make those purchases. Let us also consider what clothes to wear and why we would wear those clothes that we consider 
wearing. Is modesty the primary criterion by which we choose what to wear? In a word, in all that we do, let us seek to live lives that are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Daughters of Zion, the Lord has called you away from ungodliness and for purity for his glory. Look again with me at verse 3. The end of it through verse 5. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. So what has the potential for great evil can also be an instrument of immense blessing to the church. The mouth can harm. Oh, you, you, you've experienced the effects, the harmful effects, the poison that comes out of your own mouth and the mouths of others. But I trust you've also experienced the healing, the beauty, the grace, the encouragement from others' mouths. And that's what Paul sees here. He sees the potential for health. Remember, Paul's concern is that Titus would have a church that is a sound church, that there would be sound doctrine and sound demeanor. He wants a healthy church, that the church might be presented spotless and without blemish before their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one focal area is the mouth. And we can use the tongue to harm, but also to help and to bless. That's what we see here. They are to teach the good. Verse 3, the older women are to teach what is good. What Paul means here is very clear by what he says in the next words. But he doesn't contradict what he has spoken to Timothy around the same time. You all know these words, 1 Timothy 2. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So she is supposed to teach what is good, on the one hand, but not allowed to teach men. That's why you don't have a woman up here. That's why we don't have women elders. That's why you don't have a woman leading ABF, where you have mixed adult members. His words serve as a rebuke to those who reject their God-given place in creation. One older woman said once, I could be home rocking my grandchildren, but God called me to preach. And she said this because she wanted to express the sacrifice that she was making for the glory of God, for the expansion of the kingdom, for the gospel proclamation. But of course, God did not call this woman to preach. She is in outright rebellion to this day. He doesn't call this woman or any woman to preach, to be an elder, to be a shepherdess, if you will. John Calvin, and notice the, how he says this with balance. He says, some women. Okay, if he said all women, then you could, you know, pick up stones to stone him if you were here. But he says, some women. Some women are, are more driven than men and keener for prominence and leadership. They like to be thought of as wise, to be listened to with respect, 
and to have their say when issues are debated and opinions sought. In other words, some women prefer to be heard than to hear, to be the teachers than to be the ones taught. And that sounds sextist, perhaps, but it's biblical. In fact, what he's doing is he's reminding us of Genesis 3. And in Paul's, in Paul's, God's words to Adam and Eve. And to Eve, he says, your desire will be for your husband. And he's not saying there, you're really going to love Adam. Even after the fall, you're going to have all these romantic passions for him. And he's just going to grow cold towards you and not want anything to do with you anymore. That's not what God is saying. In fact, that's not how he uses it in the next chapter, the same language. He says, your desire is to rule him. That's how you will desire him, to be the head, to overrule this man. But he will rule over you. He will properly be your head, and he will do that poorly often. But you will try to usurp his authority. That will be part of your temptation from the fall. And so these words from Paul caution us all, really against self-pride, or self-praise rather, pride, seeking our own kingdom, our own interests. But having said all of that, Paul is not to be understood as silencing women in every area. After all, he just said that the older women are to teach what is good. You have to talk to teach. Of course, you can teach by example, which is how many commentators take this. They are teaching by example, but it's not only by example. In fact, females of all ages are to use their God-given abilities and resources to know God as best as they can. It is the joy of every Christian to know Christ, to know Christ more and more. What this then means for you is the daily reading of the Word of God, which I spoke of last week, the daily reflecting on the Word of God. Read God's word. Read it deeply. Memorize it. Read it with faith and love. Seek to practice it in all that you do. You don't need to stop at reading God's word. You, there are many resources that can help you. You can read good uh, ancient men and women who have written so well on the things of God. Consider Augustine's works. Consider Calvin's works. Consider, you could, you could even do Jonathan Edwards or Peter von Maastricht, if you want it, and modern-day authors as well. There are so many resources out there. So major on Bible study, but also avail yourself of the various resources that are specific to your calling, as we'll see in just a moment. Resources that help you to be submissive, to love your husbands, to love your children, Resources to counsel other women. So many resources available to us as they depend on the word of God. So we're teaching what is good, that is to say the good of scripture, as it is applied in these areas. The older women are to teach the younger women how to be husband loving. It's one word there. Husband lovers. Young women need to grow in their love for their husbands. They are to be taught to build on that loving foundation laid at the ceremony. Not every husband is easy to love. But even those that are, 
often test their wives' patience, submission, care, respect. Nevertheless, love insists not on her own way, but seeks the good of the other. The woman, rightly trained by God, has been so touched by the love of God that she overflows with love for her husband. She loves to serve him. She loves to do kind things for him. Older women are to teach younger women, likewise, to be children lovers, to be children loving. They need regular instruction on how to love their children. So this is more, Paul has more than just natural love for children. Very natural for a mom to love the child that she carried. But Paul isn't keen in on the natural love. This is a spiritual love. This is loving the children as Christ loves the children. Letting the children come to Christ. And there's much wisdom to go around to instruct younger women on how to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so older saints, do not deprive these women of the light that you have been given by grace. Bear with them patiently. Instruct them, lead by example, and apply the wisdom of God to their particular areas. It's not enough to say, well, back in my day, this is how we did it. Antiquity does not mean accuracy or um, fidelity to the word of God. Just because that's how you did it doesn't mean that's how it ought to be done. But you have wisdom. You have wisdom to the degree that you depend on the word of God and you have seen it work in your life. Share that wisdom with the younger women. They need it. There is to be self-control. Young wives and mothers need to be schooled in self-control, especially as they learn how to relate in godly ways towards their husbands and children. If not trained by the word of God, they will be quick to impatience, anger, grumbling, and will be tempted to turn to distractions to avoid the challenges of motherhood. And so all their saints would do well to point them to their Savior, who was controlled by the will of the Father, who works all trials and all situations out for their good, for his glory. Likewise, older women are to train the younger women to be pure-minded, to seek purity. Because younger women might be tempted to spoil their thoughts or their words. They might be envious of their husbands who do not have to stay home with the kids. They might have ample cause to see the imperfections of their own husbands. Daily reason to regret marrying them. And then they desire to graze in supposedly much greener pastures. As men are to treat their sisters in all purity, so must all women treat their husbands, their children, and their sisters in Christ in all purity. They are also be taught to work at home. Although she is not confined to the walls of her home, the home is the focus. All that she does, inside or outside the home, is to be a blessing, a, a gracious contribution for the household. And she manages all the hundreds, nay, thousands of joyful responsibilities in the household. I could not tell you all the things that my wife does for the household. If I did, 
I'd have probably a whole notepad just listing all of the things. So many. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. She works with willing hands. The heart of her husband trusts in her. That's what we see in Proverbs 31. If you can bear with another Calvin illustration, you're going to get many of them. You have received many already. But as I continue to study this man for my dissertation, illustrations just come. And so here's another one. And it's not the last one of the day. John Calvin, when he was reflecting on his wife, Idolette's passing, he was reflecting in letters to his dear friends. And one of the things that he spoke of her, that he wrote of her, was she never hindered me from my work. And so many people have taken this and said, wow, he really must not have loved Idolette. She didn't stop him from his work. Okay. He must have loved work more than Idolette. Well, perhaps. But this was a compliment. One of the highest compliments he could give her. Perhaps it was the highest one. Because he knew what she was created for. She was created to be a helpmate. And that she was. And he was a reformer before he got married to her. And he would remain a reformer even after her death. God had called him to work. God had called him and Edelette to be fruitful and multiply and to fill Geneva with the love of God and the knowledge of God. Improve the world. Begin with Geneva was his motto. And Edelette was his helpmate and supported that very important God-given calling God-given work, and if you are still skeptical about his affections for her, he says, when she died, he was only half a man. He knew how much she complimented him, how much she completed him in their work. Women are to be about kindness. The woman who has been touched by the grace of God knows the kindness of her Savior. And she wears it on her sleeves. Again, Proverbs 31 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Love is patient. Love is kind. They are to be taught, likewise, how to submit to their husbands. And with this final area, you see that Paul bookends the wife's focus. Because he began with teach them how to be husband lovers, then gives other attitudes and actions, kindness, purity, working home, etc., and then concludes with husband submitting. Her major responsibility is love for her husband and submission to her husband. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. May she say with Solomon's bride, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle. She loves her husband, even though he's not worthy of that love. And she submits to her husband 
even though he often bungles things up and is not a good head. Because her submission is unto the Lord. So women, measure on these. Love your husbands, love your children, bear the fruits of self-control and kindness, and work day and night for the good of your family and to the glory of your God. Soren Kierkegaard once said in jest that for every hundred married men who reached heaven, 99 would get there because of the faithfulness of their wives. Of course, this is a bit of an overstatement. He said it in jest. And sometimes, I think, our society, be it Christian or not, tends to equate femininity with spirituality. So the female sex is the more spiritually superior to the male sex. It's often what we hear. And of course, that's not biblical. Both sexes have their own particular temptations and problems, and the curse is on both of them. But this quote is to show how useful godly women are. I'll spare you some more of the sappy words that I had shared months ago about how useful and how blessed I am to have my wife. I spoke about that at the end of Mark's Gospel. Likewise, the church here, as I said before, has been greatly blessed by the ladies of Wick, women in the church, and others that are not directly associated with that council. You have been a blessing. Keep working unto the Lord. Sometimes we know about your service, sometimes we don't. But that doesn't matter. Because you're not doing it for us. You're doing it for the Lord. The Lord works grace into our hearts to be blessings to others, to glorify Him. And perhaps if you're not married, you say, what have the last 15 minutes to do with me at all? Well, I tried to make the proper prefatory remarks about how this word applies to all of us in various degrees. But your call, though the station looks different, is in essence the same. It is to love your groom, Christ. It is to love his church, her children. Right here, if you turn around, you you see the people, at least some of the people, to whom you are to be devoted because you have made a vow to the Lord that you would study the peace and the purity of the church, that you would love one another as you have been loved by God. And so keep practicing self-control, purity, kindness, and godly submission in whatever station you find yourself. The world and the church both need much more of these graces, to be sure. So let us all, dear sons and daughters of Zion, give thanks to the Lord for the grace of godly homes. Let's finish with the end of verse 5. That the word of God may not be reviled. So in our final moments, we focus on that, on reverencing him. Rather than reviling his word, we reverence God's word. The power and goodness of the word of God is at stake. Not your preferences. Not because somebody supposedly deserves or doesn't deserve your faithfulness. 
We're not doing this for one another. Ultimately, we are serving the Lord. We desire that the word of God not be reviled, but that God's powerful word and the transforming work of God will be on display. Because God gets the glory when we do good things. When we serve one another, when we demonstrate kindness, it's only because Christ was kind to you first. You didn't muster up kindness from your own dead heart and then praise yourself for it. Come on. Now I'm about to preach a different sermon. We'll have to hold off on that. Two weeks. But not everyone outwardly in the covenant loves the word of God. Final Calvin illustration for today. Sorry for the morning. Calvin and his company of pastors faced opposition from both men and women. And at least one woman supported the death threat that was posted on the minister's pulpit in Geneva. A note that said, essentially, get out or else we will we'll have your head. I'm thankful I've never received a note like that on the pulpit. But Calvin and the French pastors, they need to go. That's reviling the word of God. At seeing what Calvin did twice of the three sermons every Lord's Day, and throughout the midweeks services, he and the others constantly putting the word of God before the people and saying, we don't want that. Get it out of here. That's reviling the word of God. Our conduct demonstrates the glory of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy, the peace of our Lord. And so Paul is telling Titus that as women pursue their creational calling with godly wisdom, they reverence the word of God. They show respectful submission to God's teaching over their fallen desire to rule the roost. As they allow the word of God to dwell richly in their hearts, the grace of God that appears will train them to renounce ungodliness and to reverence godly lives in the present age. This transformation is, to be sure, cause for joyous praise to the Lord who changes hearts for our good and for his glory. Remember that contentious, quarrelsome wife from the beginning and her opposite, the excellent wife, Proverbs 31. Women changed by God's grace show us what the church is to be in submission to her head, Christ. What a role then. What a responsibility women have to teach and to teach by example what it means to follow Christ. And as the church loves her husband, as she submits to her head and works heartily for her children, she lightens the path of righteousness that is imperfectly trodden by her head, our Savior. What love the Son had for the Father. What submission to his will. What self-control in the face of most burdensome temptations and trials. What purity in all his ways before God and men. And what kindness to such miserable sinners like us. And what hard work he performed for the household of God by blessing us with fullness of salvation. All praise to Christ, the head and king of the church. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this word. We understand how difficult it might be to receive teaching, correction, rebuke, and and training in righteousness. And we pray that by grace, by the power of your Spirit, you will continue to work in our hearts, shape them to, to submit to your word, that we may not revile your infallible, authoritative, precious word. Amen.